If you wouldn't mind opening up your Bibles to John chapter 20, starting in verse 11. If you have your paper Bibles, that's great. Or you can use your phones. It's also going to be on the Sky Bible next to me, so whatever works for you, that's great. Uh, Verse 11 of chapter 20 in the book of John. So I'll catch up with you there in a little bit. Happy Easter, everyone. Happy Easter. Yeah, I love it. We've got like this half that's that's stoked and then this half that's not. Come on. Let me hear it from this half too. Come on. Happy Easter. Okay. Well, we are crazy enough to believe that a Jewish rabbi that lived during the first century Greco-Roman culture was actually, is actually God. That he lived died and then rose again three days later. And because of that reality, it changes everything. You're gonna find out real quick that a lot of us here love Jesus, who he is, what he's done, and his resurrection isn't some concept or idea that we, um, that we subscribe to. It's a reality that we live into. And because of that reality, a lot of us have de- dedicated our entire lives to him. And I say that just, just so that you know where we're coming from, just so you know what view or lens that we see the world through. This morning's conversation isn't about the hist- historical or empirical evidence for the resurrection. It's, even though that's a good conversation to have, I'm not trying to argue that the resurrection actually took place. There, that conversation has its place, but that's not where we're headed this morning. This morning, what I want us to wrestle with is what does it actually mean for our lives that Jesus is risen? Our passage is the story of Mary's encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And my hope is that as we open up the text together, we'll be able to see a little bit of our own stories in the narrative. So as a bit of a roadmap, um, I want to give you four things. Two questions, one moment, and invitation. So first, two questions. John chapter 20, starting in verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she stooped to look into the tomb, or, and, as, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why? Are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Growing up, Easter Sunday for the Wash was always an eventful thing. We would wake up, get ready for Easter. You can go ahead and put that photo on the screen real quick if that's okay. So this is my brother and my sister and I, and obviously she is so much cuter than me. But you know I had those white Nikes on, like, hello. Um, so yeah, uh, after church, after Sunday service, we'd come back over, we'd invite friends to our house, friends, family, people who didn't have a place to go for Easter, and we'd eat good food, we'd play games, we'd do the typical, you know, Easter egg hunt in the backyard, classic Easter stuff. It was always full of joy, it was full of community and excitement, but that's not how the first Easter Sunday morning felt. Early that morning, Mary had gone to the grave of Jesus' body to find what she least expected. She just wanted to pay her respects, to honor his body in the customary way, but instead she, she found the tomb open and 
the body gone. As if the pain of his death wasn't enough. So there she was, weeping outside the tomb, and as she mustered up enough strength to gaze into the vacant cave, another unexpected moment occurred. She sees two angels, and they're asking her a question. Why are you weeping? This wasn't a question of rebuke. This was, these were words of deep care. It's not as though her emotions were inappropriate. Oh, they're asking her, like, words of care, not criticism. Why are you weeping? Why? Because the one she loved was gone. If you've ever lost a loved one, then you know exactly what she's experiencing. Jesus was gone. She had spent three years devoted to following her, him. This is also, I hope you guys are patient enough with technical difficulties in the mic. We are a church plant. It's great. I love it. Um, so if it goes out completely, then we'll just pivot and I'll scream louder. How's that? Um, so she had spent three years devoted to following him. And this wasn't just religious devotion. You know, it wasn't just an attachment that she had based off of a religious devotion to him. At the beginning of her journey, Jesus had um, delivered her from seven demons. Before Jesus, she was an outcast. She was overlooked, abandoned. Her morality was definitely questioned. But Jesus saw her. He knew her. He loved her. She had walked with him, traveled with him, watched him perform miracles. She saw his ministry gain traction over three years, and it must have felt like just a few moments where all of that was taken away. Perhaps she was thinking, now that he's gone, I wonder if the demons are going to come back. Or some of the disciples had left him at the cross and gone back to former occupations, but did she really have a life to go back to? The only life she wanted was by Jesus' side. It was a life of joy, love, acceptance, identity, purpose, significance. Was all of this a waste of time? The one she loved, the one that loved her, was gone. Verse 13, she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. This is an interesting response. She's honest, and definitely this is a merited response based on her circumstance, except for one minor detail. She's, she's, she's literally talking to angels right now. <laughs> she even realized that they're angels? What's going on here? This is the first time in John's gospel that angels actually enter into the scene. So there's no question that angels are a significant indicator that God is at play. And if the presence of angels isn't enough to reveal to you that there's miracles happening, then I really don't know what will. But Mary doesn't get it. She's caught in grief. Caught in the moment, caught in the weight of the world. In fact, what should bring insight to the situation only seems to compound her pain. She's disillusioned. 
I wonder what spiritual realities we are blind and disillusioned to in our own lives due to death in our worlds. Whether or not, whether or not physical death is something you've become acquainted with in your own story, spiritual death plagues all of us on a daily basis. Sin, pain, heartache, failures, compromise. We are inundated with information, plagued with anxiety, caught up in triviality. We long for justice, and we're desperate for a semblance of hope. The, the reality is the world we live in and the lives we live keep us, keep us from seeing things the way that God sees them. But that's not the end of the story. Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have lived, and I will take him away. She's weeping over Jesus, and he's standing right in front of her. And he asks her the same questions that the angels ask her, but then he steps in with one more, just a little bit more. He says, who are you searching for? Notice she thought she was looking in all the right places, right? Like Jesus had died, so the logical place for her to look would have been his grave. She thought she was in the right place, and she was doing the right things. She was like literally bringing spices and fragrances to honor his body. She thought she was in the right place. She thought she was doing the right things. Isn't this true of religion? How you can be in all the right places and do all the right things, but still completely miss Jesus. We're after Jesus here. Nothing else. I'm not sure what motivated you to come to church. Maybe it was an Instagram ad. Maybe it was uh, Easter. <laughs> like it's, it's Easter. People come to church, right? Uh, and I'm not sure where you are. I'm not sure where all of you are at in your faith journey, whether or not you'd call yourself a follower of Jesus or a Christian. But one thing I do know is we can all relate to Mary. You know what? All right. Better. Corded mics always work better, right? Okay. So, I'm not sure what motivated, but we can all relate to Mary. We're all searching for something, right? We search for meaning. We long for acceptance, joy, freedom, and satisfaction. We go through seasons of identity crisis. We're looking for a resolution of moral questions and hope for the future. No matter where you are searching, no matter what or who you are searching for, if it is not Christ, it will compromise, compel you to compromise in your convictions. It will reduce your relationships to comparison games and petty transactions. It will exhaust you, leave you disillusioned, and ultimately, it will never satisfy. The world will promise you purpose, and then fail to admit that that purpose is actually so fragile that it will be stripped from you the moment that suffering occurs. But Jesus promises, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. The world says your satisfaction is based on your circumstances. But Jesus says, I have come to give you life, and life abundantly. The world says, work hard and you'll find the rest that you're looking for. 
Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. In other words, the world says work for rest, but Jesus says no, work from rest, the rest that I give you. The world says the way to face the future is by numbing ourselves through consumption and fishing and acquiring as much as we possibly can. Resources, relationships, status, power, you name it, just so that we can gain some sort of semblance of control over our lives. But Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and then forfeit his soul? He offers us a way to face not only the future, but even death itself with hope and peace. St. Augustine puts it this way, for wherever the human soul turns itself other than to you, it is fixed in sorrows, even if it's fixed on beautiful things. So for Mary, the answer to all longing was standing right in front of her. But she couldn't see it. Some scholars say that the reason she didn't recognize Jesus was because of some kind of spiritual um, limitation on Jesus' part, that he was intentionally keeping her from seeing him completely for a period of time. And then some scholars say that it was just circumstance. It was early in the morning, probably still dark. There was, this was a region where fog would have been prevalent early in the morning. Her eyes were probably swollen with tears falling from her eyes as she peered to see who was standing in front of her. And then like most of us, she probably didn't expect to see a man that she saw die three days earlier walk up to her and say, hello, like, right? But no matter how you spin it, one thing is true. It seems as though Jesus and his first priority wasn't revealing his identity. He was more concerned with entering into her situation. He listens to her. He's concerned for her pain. This has always blown me away about Jesus. Upon resurrecting from the grave, he doesn't go to the religious authorities or the people in power of the day, that put him, the people who put him on the cross. He has all authority and power in heaven and on earth at his disposal, and he doesn't broadcast that from positions of influence, he visits his friends. He walks with them, eats meals with them. He processes doubt with them. He weeps with them. This is the character of God on display. His compassionate heart, his steadfast love, his kindness, his patience. Maybe you need to hear that today. This is God's disposition towards you in Christ. So two questions. Why are you weeping? Who are you searching for? Next, we have one moment. Verse 16. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Most likely looking away from Mary, or from Jesus, to hide the intensity of her tears. This one word, Mary's own name spoken over her by the most important person in human history, changes her entire life. In the few seconds that it took for her to turn, that one moment to look at his face, I almost imagine the world turning on its axis with her, from death to life, 
from weeping to joy. History turned to look at resurrection in her face. Can you imagine the hope that was returned to her in this moment? The joy that she had in this one moment. Jesus says her name. He speaks identity to her. This is the reality of the resurrection for followers of Jesus. When God steps into our reality, he speaks our name to us. He resurrects our hopes and our longings and gives us an identity. Paul puts it like this in Romans 8. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back in fear. But you have received, received the adoption, the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Mary had an encounter with the resurrected Lord. When we come to Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have this same encounter. He speaks our name to us, invites us into his presence to experience intimacy with him, and declares that each one of us are fully known, fully loved, and fully accepted by him. 1 John 3, verse 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. Is there a greater form of validation? The God of the universe, who knew you before time began, who knit you in your mother's womb, who spoke your name into being, now is calling you into beloved intimacy with him. Do you need hope resurrected in your life? Is there something in your heart that needs restoration? Has disillusionment taken its toll? Let Christ speak your name. He's speaking to you now, do you hear it? Two questions, one moment, and lastly, an invitation. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So she probably just reaches around him and grabs him tight, and Jesus says, hey, no, 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 you can't just stay here. We can't just, this is a beautiful moment, yes, but I, I, mean, I want you to go to your friends. Share with them what you've experienced. This is important. Mary was a woman living in Judea, Judaism in the first century. Now, yes, women could gain status and influence in their culture, but Jewish courts didn't even accept the testimony of women witness. If the writers of the New Testament were trying to craft a conspiracy to prove that Jesus' resurrection actually occurred, they probably wouldn't have included this story and most definitely wouldn't have used her as the very first eyewitness. Now, I know I said I wasn't going to have any conversation in this message about proof of the resurrection, but this is too good not to share. You just wouldn't make this story up. You wouldn't use her. What was the point of putting this story in this, in, in this whole narrative? 
Like they didn't even have a, a framework for a dude resurrecting from the grave in the middle of humanity. When the Jewish scholars thought about resurrection, it was supposed to happen at the end of days, not in the middle of humanity of one dude. Like they had no idea, they had no concept, no framework for the resurrection. It seems as though the gospel writers weren't trying to prove Jesus' resurrection. They weren't trying to craft an apologetic, but they were recording real stories that actually happened in such a way to invite us into the narrative that we might discover what happens when we come encounter with the resurrected Lord as well. And Jesus goes to Mary first. He speaks her name. He gives her an identity. He invites her into the calling. He invites her to take this transformative, powerful, intimate moment that she had just had with Jesus and then turns her around and sends her out to share that same message with the world, to embody it to whomever she comes in contact with. The resurrection not only impacts our own lives, it not only transforms us inwardly, it compels us outward, inviting us to share what it means with the world that Christ has actually risen. The death doesn't have the final word. To bring hope and restoration, to bring life out of death, carrying his message and presence wherever we go. We are being invited to live out the resurrection in real time. This means entering into the pain and brokenness of others. It means showing patience and compassion towards those who don't see Jesus clearly yet. It means participating in the life of the church, not just coming on Sundays, hello? We strive for unity in the midst of diversity, charity in the midst of differences. It means working for the restoration of people and communities, defending the weak, welcoming the stranger and the outcast into our lives. Resurrection in real time means we uphold truth even when it rubs up against our preferences. It means that this thing we call church is not something that we do. It's something that God does and we're being invited to participate in it. To proclaim with hope and confidence like Mary, I have seen the Lord. Eugene Peterson says it this way, church is an appointed gathering of named people in particular places who practice a life of resurrection in a world in which death gets the biggest headlines. Death of nations, death of civilization, death of marriage, death of careers, obituaries without ends, death by war, death by murder, death by accident, death by starvation, death by electric chair, lethal injection and hanging. The practice, read this, the practice of resurrection is an intentional, deliberate decision to believe and participate in resurrection life, life out of death, life that trumps death, life that is the last word. Jesus life. This is what it means to live in the resurrection. As the people of God, as the sons and daughters of God through the blood and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we now practice resurrection in the places that we find ourselves. Our world is dying for a glimpse of this kind of life. Do you feel the heartache? Do you sense the undercurrent of low-grade disillusionment? 
Like, let's just be honest for a second. Who knew that we'd be coming out of a pandemic and knocking on the door of a global war? Like, right? Like, let's be honest. If you did, well done. I didn't have the discernment to notice it. Or, like, shortages, the budding economic crisis, gas prices, all of this and more, coupled with the tension of the everyday, fragile, normal stuff of life that we go through on a constant basis, has society desperately coming up or longing to come up for air. And we carry resurrection life. Resurrection, Jesus, he is the only hope. And he is inviting us to carry, to practice resurrection in the places that we find ourselves. Two questions, one moment, and an invitation. Where do you find yourself in this story? How might God be speaking to you? Is he calling you out of this illusion? Is he longing to restore what you thought had been stolen? Is he giving you hope for the future? Christian or not, he's speaking your name. He's inviting you into life. Would you guys stand with me?